0: welcome to the broadcast every arizona homeowner's best friend thanks for tuning in it's rosie on the house your weekend wake-up tradition on a beautiful arizona saturday morning just wet desert everywhere the smell of creosote the green uh, carpet of weeds and grass growing up all over the place. We've got flowers blooming. It's going to be a beautiful spring. And here in this fourth Saturday of the month, we are talking urban farming with farmer Greg joining us. And if you're following along in our annual homeowner handbook, you can see March 25th today, we're talking urban farming, urban farm fun. Now, uh, Greg, I, I liked the topic when I saw that you had selected that because that. You know, I think that's what a lot of people forget. It is—it is supposed to be fun. It's a labor of love, but it is fun.
1: Yep. Yeah. Exactly. If you're, and you know, I'm a big, big, big proponent of, if you're not having fun doing anything, don't do it.
0: <laughs> Makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Man, have fun or don't do it.
0: And so, what? Uh, where are we going to start with today? I, I love this first talking point. It, it's something that uh, sums it up very nicely. Local food economy just that everybody participates.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if you're eating, you're participating in the food economy. And what I've done over the past 25 years is I've really looked at the systems that we have in place uh, for feeding ourselves, and many of them are global systems. And these global systems, while the Breach or the breach. The reach of them is pretty incredible. And the sheer fact that we're feeding over three hundred million people a day in the United States with these systems is pretty incredible. So the system itself is pretty incredible, and it has some major problems. And one of the big problems is is the what we call food miles. Food miles is the uh, the where the food is grown to where it's consumed and the average food miles in the United States is 1500 so that has quite an environmental impact. It also has an impact on our health in that often that food is harvested far away from us. It has to be harvested early so it's not as nutrient dense as it could be. Therefore it's not as good for us plus once they harvest it it starts degrading the nutrients in it over time so the food that we're getting uh, often isn't as nutrient dense as it could be and uh, then a lot of the food that is produced is manufactured so they're you know making chips which you know doritos are amazing but <laughs> is it really food right So these are all things to consider when we're looking at our local food system and uh, the food local food economy or the food economy is growing, harvesting, processing, transportation, distribution, and consumption. And if you're eating every day, you're participating in that. And what I've done over the past 15 years uh, in many conversations is I've boiled it down to what we like to call our LFE or our local food economy model and our local food economy model has seven components. And when we look at how a food system works, these are the seven components that we need in order to feed ourselves. You want to hear what they are? Right, I have a pen in hand. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Uh, I always like to add education first because that's what I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Makes so sense. Educating people about where their food comes from, how to grow your own is really important. Uh, point number two in this or part number two in the local food economy model is farming and farming methods. How do we farm and what can we look at to bring those resources in? There's you know, farming in containers, there's aquaponics, there's all kinds of other things we'll talk about a little later. But looking at the farming methods on how we actually raise food is really important. Uh, Part number three of the local food economy model is actual farmers. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You, too, can have an urban farm. And we're going to talk about the importance of that. Part number four of the local food economy model are seeds. And this is something I've been working on. You've heard me talk about the Great American Seed Up and what we do with the Great American Seed Up. It energizes our local seed economy. Without local seeds, we can't have local food. And, you know, in the case of a downturn or shortages, really the only seeds we have are what are in big box stores. And so creating a local seed economy is really important. And seeds
0: are something you can buy and last forever. I mean, we've talked about it before. They've they've propagated seeds they found in uh pottery buckets they estimated to be thousands of years old
1: exactly yeah if you if you grow out your own seeds uh storing them cool dark and dry they can live indefinitely so that's incredible yeah and that's why we teach a lot about growing your own seeds because it's important point number let's see one two three four five is collection and distribution that's you know you harvest the food you collect it and package it and distribute it It has to be done and a lot of that is done at the local farmers markets value added products are let's say somebody wants to make kale chips so i'll grow kale for somebody and somebody buys that kale from me and they make it into kale chips or peaches for jam or those are all value-added products and then there's culture and policy and culture uh, has a lot to do with how we interact with food and policy has a lot to do with how we govern who can grow what you know there are hoas in the state that restrict your ability to actually grow food on your property and as far as i'm concerned that is bogus and i tried to get that changed about i don't know about 10 years ago and. Uh, it's it's a tedious process to get anything done there, and I was basically told, "Good luck. You're not going to have any luck with that." So
0: it took them years to get the solar ban it accomplished. So I I don't know if there's anyone currently leading the charge to um, t- to get rid of that restriction, but you know I I, I would think eventually that's going to happen because. That's to. ridiculous. And how would you enforce that? What are you going to do? Arrest somebody because they've grown a tomato plant in a pot <laughs> on their back patio?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I've had people that, you know, interact with me that say, you know, they had fruit trees in their yard and their HO made made them take them down. Uh, you know, and that's, see, that for me, that's a basic human right to be able to grow your own food. So anyway, we're not going down that road. <laughs> that is the local food economy model. It's There's seven parts to it. There's education, farming methods, farmers, seeds, collection and distribution, value added products and culture and policy. And without all of those in combination, it makes it really hard to create our local food system.
0: And one of the interesting things about the distribution that really hit home with me last uh, summer when we had the Arizona worm farm Join us in the broadcast was, you know, just how much prior to Amazon, (laughs) boxes Mm -hmm. showing up constantly, what was the majority of the trash in your home? It was food packaging. Yep. You know, the styrofoam for the meat, the saran wrap over Mm -hmm. that, the box of whatever that has a bag inside of it, the bag of chips. I mean, there's just so much of our trash that we were throwing out was and is, you know, food packaging. But what was, and and how how that really hit me was that he takes all of his cardboard and he uses it to feed his worms. His worms create the castings that helps them create food that he then consumes and uh, composts what's left over there. So he's got, uh, to, to steal your word, he's got a very regenerative, cycle going
1: on over there yes he does absolutely in fact after that conversation that we had with him last summer i went out and bought a uh, paper shredder and i've been shredding my cardboard and feeding it to, feeding it to my worms it makes perfect sense
0: it does it does and yeah. you, you can get that podcast at rosieonthehouse.com just look for urban farm worm farm and you can in the keywords and you'll be able to find that and listen to it zach Uh, was was a a very fun guest Uh,
1: so moving I I do hold on I want to jump in here before we go the food waste the food packaging waste is massive in this country and by growing your own we eliminate that so that's a bonus there what people don't realize is that upwards of 90% of that stuff the packaging never gets recycled because there's no market for it well, and it, that just creates more waste in the future for your kids and grandkids and that's you know that's a big reason why I do what I do is for our kids and grandkids and I don't have kids but we need to we need to create a path for them that is less polluted and by growing your own food you're eliminating plastic a lot of plastic waste
0: and a lot of that, even, uh, you know, pizza boxes, they're cardboard, but because of the grease from the cheese and, you know, the, the ingredients in there, that can't be recycled you yeah. know, un- unless you're bringing it to your worm farm.
1: <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was going to say. The worms are going to love it.
0: Even worms love greasy cheese. <laughs> right.
1: Absolutely. Well, the interesting thing about worms is that the worms actually don't eat the food waste. They eat the microbes that are breaking down the food waste, which is really cool.
0: Very technical.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. There you go.
0: Well, as always, we've got a lot of talking points here. and We're far outpacing the speed in which we are covering them. Uh, So let's do this. We're going to cut short just a few seconds early so that we can start a brand new topic on your talking points coming back. We've got Farmer Greg talking urban farm fun, making sure you're... You know, don't forget that, uh, that, you know, this whole process of growing food for yourself and your family and your neighborhood and your community, it should be a fun process. And continuing our conversation with farmer Greg in the urban farm, you had one more point about the impact of food shipping before we move on to our next talking points.
1: The big reason to grow, one of the big reasons to grow on food is because it's more nutrient dense, reduces waste, and it significantly reduces the environmental impact. So what is an urban farm? That is really the question of the day. And an urban farm is a place that you can go or you can grow that grows food for your local area. It's really that simple. That Uh, you can go or you can grow. I like that. There you go. Uh, My urban farm when I was in Phoenix was a third of an acre. That was uh, near 16th Street and Bethany home. It was 80 feet wide and 160 feet deep. And on the property over 32 years that I lived there, we planted uh, and grew over 80 fruit trees on the property. We had a, uh, and we've talked about this on the show before, uh, old growth food forest, uh, which basically means that I planted open pollinated seeds that replanted themselves year after year. So there was always food to grow, whether it was parsley or basil or kale, lettuce, uh, nasturtiums, beans, those were all things that came back year after year after year. And uh, I did worm composting at the property. And uh, had, we had chickens, we had about uh, 14 hens that laid us eggs every day. And that was my rendition of an urban farm. Uh, your rendition can really be anything from a few pots on your front porch to an old growth food forest like I had at the urban farm.
0: And those pots on the forest, I know we hit it often, the easiest thing to grow and the most expensive thing in produce are herbs and herbs grow great here.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I love how you just you, you learned that from me and you just share it. I love that. An urban farmer is actually even simpler. And an urban farmer grows food and shares it. I don't care if you're sharing it with your family or sharing it with your neighbors or taking it to the market, you can call yourself a farmer. And then the, the third piece of this that's really, really important. And that's that you name your farm. And people look at me sometimes and say, "Why should I name my farm?" Well, naming your farm brings social credit to your space. And you know, I, I had a tour at the urban farm a few years ago, and uh, I raised my I raised my hand and I said, "Hey, how many people have named their farms?" And a whole bunch of people uh, later on in the process are naming their farms. Uh, And they named them Two Fat Cats Apartment Garden (laughs) or Jack's Beanstalk. And look what what just happened with you. You giggled. (laughs) It brings some levity. And people, you know, if you say, I'm an urban farmer and I live at Two Fat Cats Apartment Garden, it's like, ooh, tell me about that. It builds the social conversation around local farms and local food.
0: And the naming, it kind of brings a little bit of point of pride to you as well when you're taking care of and managing your your own urban farm you know having that name and uh it, it, it just it does something mentally to you
1: and so that's really important and there are thousands of named farms in phoenix
0: and when you're talking about you know a farmer urban farmer shares something i don't know any farmer that you know, you know that's their point of what they're doing they're doing it for others It's it's an export it's a commodity you know you, you are growing it for others
1: yes and you can still be a gr- an urban farmer if you're just growing it for yourself and the reason i specifically say this is because being a gardener is a hobby now it's not a bad hobby in fact it's great if you're a gardener but when you're a farmer a, a farmer is a profession So what I'm encouraging people to do is take your gardening hobby and turn it into a profession, whether you're teaching people. In fact, one of the big things that I did when I was in Phoenix, and we continue to do this, is uh, urban farm tours in Phoenix and urban farm education in Phoenix. So I was growing less for public consumption, but I was sharing more in the education space and there is so much need for that if you have an urban farm open it up to your neighbors bring them in and show them what you have because you know more than they do about what's going on in your space so when people come to the urban farm for a tour they would we'd start in the front yard and you know we just, just look around and i'd start talking about what's going on in the space and That engages people. People want to know this. So educate about it. Really important.
0: And we can do that uh, a number of different ways by tuning in every Saturday uh, here at Rosie on the House, the fourth Saturday of the month. And we've got a new feature at our website where we've uh, recategorized and cataloged our radio broadcasts, where in the past we would put all three hours of our radio broadcast on one Website, page, one URL. Mm-hmm. And in our mind, it's like, well, that's easy for the listener because then they don't have to remember what hour they were looking for and search through pages. But over the course of time, if you're trying to go back looking for word, for, word worm farming – But it's also in a uh, podcast page where we're talking about drywall. It can be very tricky to the search engine to try and determine what am I looking for here or the user. I typed in worm farming. Why am I getting a URL with drywall in it? So each one of our podcast hours now is broken into its own hour. And so you can click on the urban farming tag and then you can get all of Greg's podcasts there and search result. And then you can pick by category what you want to look at. So –
1: New, Beautiful. Thank new, you for doing that. Yeah,
0: new adoption of uh, technology and uh, best practices for our website. More with Farmer Greg right after this. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a conversation with Farmer Greg talking urban farm fun and that it, a reminder that this should be fun even though uh, we're Ultimate goal is to get you in the mindset of being a professional farmer at your home Even if you've got a full-time career full-time job or you've got two or three once uh, You get it established, you know the the urban farm at your own property uh, Can be for the most part, you know hand, hands free and regenerative by itself just like nature is
1: and Interesting that you would bring this up at this particular moment not that you don't have notes that I gave you but still interesting <laughs> when i went back to college I, i've been a lifelong learner i ended up at asu in 1981 and i absolutely hated it i got a 0.5 grade average that's two d's in an f uh, and my dad looked at me after that semester and he says oh i get it you don't want to be in college <laughs> and, and so i skipped college back then and uh, 19 years later uh, i re-enrolled back at arizona state university while I was going from 1999 to 2004 for that five year period, what I was actually doing was I was farming my front and backyard at the urban farm. And it was just stuff that I was growing in in the front and backyard, which included flowers, cut flowers, man, they sell like that. So what I was doing is on Wednesday mornings, I would go out and harvest what I had available in my front and backyard. And I would go to the. Uh, Town and Country Farmer's Market. And I would participate in the Town and Country Farmer's Market from uh, 10 until 2 over the lunch hour there. And I'd take home, well, two, three, four hundred bucks every time I went, which is pretty nice for, you know, being a 40-year-old in college to have that kind of money. Uh, And then anything, this is the cool part, though. Anything that I had left over at the end of the day, I took them over to Susan at the Calico Cow restaurant she fed me and I gave her whatever was left over and she used it in a restaurant
0: good trade
1: that was a great trade once it's set up and running it pretty much self runs not that it doesn't take work it does take work but for a day and a half of work I was farming my front and backyard going and interacting at the farmers market taking the leftover stuff to a restaurant and getting fed lunch, anybody can do that. Single moms and dads, if you wanted to, or you know, non-single moms and dads, if you wanted to start a little farm, farmette thing like that, and harvest—that's great. College students, high school students, it's super simple to actually start growing in your front and backyards. And now we actually have there's a nonprofit that runs at I think the Uptown Market and the Downtown Market in Phoenix. That's the Community Booth. So you don't even. I used to set up a booth of my own at the farmers market. You don't even have to do that anymore. You can just harvest the stuff and take it to the community booth, and they'll sell it for you and and pay you for it.
0: Interesting. I had not heard yeah. of that. The community booth at the Uptown Market.
1: Yeah. Very exactly. cool. Exactly. Go check out Uptown Market, man. What she's, what they're doing there, Bo, uh, is incredible. What she's set up and what they're, but what they're doing, the Uptown Market is one of the best markets. In the country, they've been voted one of the best markets in the country, and we have it right in our backyard. They're at uh, Central and Bethany Home, and last I heard, they were doing Saturday markets and Wednesday markets. Okay,
0: well, we'll we'll look that up and make sure there's a link in this segment for that, uh, for for quick access. Uh, Perfect. And there's a a lot of uh, farmers' markets throughout the entire state.
1: Oh, there is. You know, check your. You know, there's a, apparently the Gilbert Downtown Farmers Market is incredible. I've not been to it. The Scottsdale Downtown Farmers Market is incredible. I've done. I've been to there. I've been to the Cape Creek Market years and years ago, um, for selling uh, at the Cape Creek Market years ago. Uh, but check out your local farmers market. It uh, it'll make a difference for the farmer, and you'll get healthier food for sure.
0: Now. But let's move on to uh, growing and choosing your product, because that's a that's a big one. If everyone's growing oranges, well, maybe maybe you find a different type of grapefruit,
1: <laughs> right? Or plant yourself some Cara Cara navel oranges rather than regular navel oranges that people go nutty for. I've been self-employed for almost fifty years. Uh, I only had one real job in my life. I got fired from it, but the rest of the time I've Uh, I, you know, I've been working for myself and what I've learned over the past 30 years is the nichier that you get, the more focused you get, the better off you are. So if you're looking at making this into a business, rather than just growing food for your family and friends, if you're looking at making it into a business, you want to pick something and get real focused on it. Kevin, uh, Kevin, he does a mushroom business at the farmers downtown or the Uptown Phoenix Farmers Markets. He's specifically growing mushrooms. Uh, So, you know, you can do microgreens. Uh, You can, you know, you can do greens in general, just but get real specific. Don't, you know, do greens and chickens and for eggs and, 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 and if I was going to coach somebody about becoming an urban farmer, pick one thing, maybe herbs and grow them, get the really good at that and then travel on to the next thing.
0: And, and when you're talking about that, that's like, if you're going for profit, you know, when if yeah. you're doing this for yourself, you can have chickens and eggs and a goat and this, but if you're trying to sell it, get really yeah. good at that one Niche thing that, you know, are you, uh, how, how would you research that? Well, go to the farmer's market and take note of what they
1: don't have. Exactly. Exactly. What, what is missing from the farmer's market? Or, you know, go to the farmer's market and, uh, you know, maybe there's only one booth for fermented food. And, you know, you're into fermenting. Uh, and I have people t- tell me this occasionally these days there's what if there's too much competition? And my point about that is that when we're growing enough food in Phoenix to feed Phoenix or in the Valley to feed Phoenix or in Arizona to feed Arizona, there might be competition. There is a huge opportunity to grow food and grow local food and yeah so go for it find something uh and you know there's there's different ways to grow food as well um there's a farm in a box that's a really cool project where uh, this company out of california sells you a container that has everything you need for a two acre farm So you buy the container, they deliver the container, you open it up, everything that you need is in that container. That's called farm in a box. Hmm. Um, There's uh, container farming where they actually, so the farm in a box is you open the box up and you spread it out. It's got the seeds and the soil and whatever you need for a two acre farm. Then there's container farms where they're actually converting containers into hydroponic growing, systems
0: and you're so, talking uh, like the storage containers or like the shipping containers exactly. that you would see on a semi that are being repurposed
1: exactly and they have lights in them and they have hydroponic water systems in them and so you know that's another way uh, aquaponics have you ever heard of aquaponics
0: well i have because one of uh you, you had a great aquaponic guest on two uh, maybe yeah. three years ago
1: they wrote ago. the book. Yeah, Chris, exactly. Hi, uh, aquaponics is you have a fish pond, and the fish pond, you're taking that water with fish poop in it, and you're pumping it up through your garden beds, and those garden beds are harvesting the nutrients out of the water, growing food, cleaning the water, and putting clean water back into the fish tank. There's So there's aquaponic systems. Uh, I know that uh, St. Vincent de Paul, they have a huge aquaponic system set up
0: and they'll let Uh, you come look at it i mean you can't just walk up necessarily but call ahead make sure somebody's there they're happy to show you and they've got a great community garden there it's several acres big
1: yeah yeah the work they're doing there is great and then there's tower gardens have you ever heard of tower gardens
0: Uh, my uncle has one those are very cool
1: yeah tower gardens looks like a christmas tree growing food it's a they call it aeroponics but it's really a hydroponic system there's a uh, a 20 gallon bucket of water at the bottom and it pumps the water to the top and that water trickles down the uh, the tower and uh, waters and neutrifies the plants growing out of the side of the tower Uh, and you know troy over at uh, true garden out in mesa is has a huge greenhouse i think it's a 5,000 square foot greenhouse that he's got nine-foot tower gardens in and there's like 300 of them in there or something crazy like that and they're they're growing hydroponic food like that so there are so many opportunities to plug into the local food system and if you're inspired to start making a living growing food in in the low desert because there is such a need for it
0: and like one of the things i really liked about the last few minutes of this segment was just breaking the mindset of what a farm is you know it's yeah. it's not the row crop that's 50,000 acres that you've got these combines i mean there's nothing wrong with those but when we're looking at putting this on our own property we're we're not trying to emulate you know these massive farm projects there's so many different tools and methods and Uh, options for just the homeowner, even on a patio gardener. That's a perfect application for a tower garden.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, what we used to do with our tower garden in Phoenix is we would grow greens in the summertime. So greens like lettuce and salad greens don't like the heat. So what we would do is we'd plant out our tower garden in May, June, July, August and September and we brought it inside with lights on it. So we we're actually growing where it was cool inside and we were harvesting salad greens all summer.
0: Which is the December crop here in Yuma. <laughs> You're harvesting it in Phoenix in in the summertime. That's pretty. Right. So there's there's more more methods than just your traditional row farming that I think is, is so imprinted in and our minds from uh, you know, our, our incredible farming industry that's across America. But when we're bringing it into an urban farm in our backyard, you've really got to start thinking outside of the box and looking at other processes and determine how much size you had. You'd mentioned your uh, third of an acre and 80 fruit trees. Well, it wasn't like this huge orchard everywhere. They were shaped in mm-hmm. hedges and they were kept short and they were very practical and, and functional for your space. It, yes. it wasn't like... We're talking about this this big orchard that somebody could get lost in if they wandered into <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, we just need to get creative. And uh, if you have any dirt at all, you should be growing food. In fact, I've said that about chickens too. If you have a backyard, you should get yourself a couple of couple three four five hens, not roosters, hens, and hens in your backyard are great workers. They eat bugs, they eat weeds, they poop, so you have fertilizer for your garden, and they give you eggs every day. What could be better than that?
0: It's a a pretty no-brainer for for backyard chickens. We have one final segment with Farmer Greg, right after this. What final things are we gonna focus on in this segment?
1: You know, we talked a little bit about where to sell. So there's farmers markets, there's chefs, uh, and there's something on here. There's an acronym on here that a lot of people don't necessarily know what that means. It's called CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. In fact, when the pandemic hit, the CSAs in Phoenix or the Community Supported Agriculture Projects in Phoenix exploded because what they're doing is a csa will go and coordinate they'll either grow a lot of the food or most of their food or they'll coordinate with farmers and they'll build this collection box of of garden goodies of farmed goodies and they'll put the box together and then they deliver it to you once a week again community supported agriculture it's a great project uh, either to do yourself Uh, a buddy of mine over in san diego used to do a CSA on his small farm for 10 families. And then they pay, you know, $25 a, a week for a box. And if he's doing it for 10 families, that's 250 bucks a week that you're bringing in. And you're, you are got all this great food going out the door. So participating or doing your own CSA could be really uh, a really cool place to go.
0: And, you know, picking the CSA, there might be different things throughout the course of the year that aren't in your regular diet or that you wouldn't have thought to buy or didn't know what were in the produce so it's it's not for the uh, the super picky eater or uh somebody that's that's afraid to venture out to new recipes exactly but like Um, i tell my kids i'm like who knows it could be the best thing you've ever had in your life you won't know until you try
1: it right and often what happens with the csa is that they you know they put um i don't know arugula in a box they'll give you a recipe on what to do with it or parsnips what do you do with a parsnip well you can roast them and apparently they're really good
0: so that's community supported ag and there are a number of them throughout Arizona
1: yeah and I've seen them for herbs I've seen them for uh, vegetables I've seen them for fruits I've seen them for uh, flowers there's I, I interviewed somebody on my podcast recently that was doing a community-supported agriculture box for flowers. So you got a weekly delivery of flowers for your table.
0: And you had mentioned earlier in the broadcast that that was one of the crops you had found to be pretty profitable.
1: The things that would sell the fastest were the flowers. And I wasn't purposely growing flowers. I just happened to have flowers that were growing on the property because I grow them for pollinators. Flowers bring in pollinators. So I grow lots of flowers. In fact, I recently, interviewed Lisa oh my gosh I'm drawing a blank on her last name for my podcast and she said 20% of what you grow should be flowering things Hmm. because that brings in the pollinators for you herbs are the most expensive thing to buy in the store and the easiest thing to grow and I'll tell you what if you were growing basil you could find a chef that would probably take pounds of basil off your hands every every week (laughs) Uh, that's not a you know that's not a a market to skip past. If you're thinking about doing this for a business that's not a market to skip past, is sh- local chefs. And if I was going to start, get started again, I would go find two or three of my favorite restaurants. I would find out who the chef was there and I would ask them, what would you, if I was growing something for you, what would you like for me to grow for you? And they'll be very excited to get locally grown produce from somebody they know. Obviously, there's veggies to grow. There's a whole palette of veggies you can grow in those coarse fruit trees. There's some peaches and apples and apricots that are, are so incredibly prolific in the low desert that you could plant, you know, 20 or 30 or 50 of those trees and you would have enough uh, fresh fruit to sell and actually make a living on.
0: It's all just getting started. If somebody was going to get started, I think if you were going to... Try and do this for yourself. Well, plant what you enjoy to eat. If you're looking to do it as an additional revenue stream, well, you had just made the point about talking to local chefs and seeing what products they would take and then also visiting local farmer's market and see what products might be missing so that you could then focus on to get your your niche commodity started in your yeah, own home. Precisely. Or patio garden with a tower garden or a flower street garden on the patio you know there's there's no shortage of options and setups and you know you you don't need to necessarily have uh growing space land to do it uh, obviously the more if you have a little bit more that's better but there are options for for anybody
1: and actually you know what before i left phoenix i was growing a medicinal herb not pot this was uh, a uh, medicinal herb called saida Acuda. it's a uh a potent natural antibiotic, and I was actually growing some of those herbs, that particular one, for a couple of people in Phoenix, and I was growing it in a pot on the patio. You found your niche. Just saying, that that's one of the things I'm looking at doing here. Actually, is uh, medicinal herbs uh, for the uh, you know for the industries here because Gaia Herbs is right here in our neighborhood and uh, so i'm i'm looking to see about growing medicinal herbs
0: and you've got a website for uh, knowing what grows at what time in the low desert yeah and i so think the is most important final key to all of that
1: yeah exactly the most important thing you can do in getting stuff planted is know what to plant when if you go to plantingcalendar.org that's one of my websites, and it'll give you a free planting calendar on when to plant, because if you plant at the wrong time, good luck.
0: That's Farmer Greg. We've been talking urban farm fun, making a fun uh, adventure for your own urban farm, and he'll join us next month in April We're talking about backyard animals.
1: Woohoo!